our, our relationships with the academic sector are among our most important at the Department of Agriculture. Um, and it was a real treat to actually get to participate in your annual meeting. I understand I might be the first USD official that has presented during that meeting, which, you know, we hope to change that moving mm -hmm. forward because there's such, to your point, a, a critical opportunity to bring in more university, uh, community college, trade school partners as well to realize our, our vision. Um, but you know, again, we can't solve problems unless we deeply understand the problems that we're trying to solve. And so we're lucky to have data from the Economic Research Service that kind of helps us paint a picture of, of where we are today, right? And where do we need to go? You're listening to Further Together, the ORAU podcast. Join Michael Holtz and his guests for conversations about all things ORAU. They'll talk about ORAU's storied history, our impact on an ever-changing world, our innovative scientific and technical solutions for our customers, and our commitment to the communities where we do business. Welcome to Further Together, the ORAU podcast. Welcome to Further Together, the ORAU podcast. As ever, it's me, your host, Michael Holtz, in the Communications and Marketing Department at ORAU. And today I'm delighted to be having a conversation with Sana Beg, who is the Deputy Undersecretary for Research, Education, and Economics at the U.S. Department of Agriculture. Um, we've been trying to have this conversation for a little while, so I'm glad that the stars have finally aligned for us to be able to do this. Um, Sana Beg, welcome to Further Together. Well, thank you very much. And, and Indeed, it has been a long time in the making. I had the the incredible opportunity to, to speak at the ORAU, I think, annual meeting last March. And yes. since then, we've been trying to connect. But, you know, there's been so much good work happening at the Department of Agriculture. I'm looking forward to sharing a little bit more um, since that time. So thank you for having me. Absolutely thrilled to have you. And yeah, you know, um, work, work happens and exciting things are happening. Um, and we get to talk about all of that today. So um, where I wanted to start, though, is um, with your current role at the at the USDA. Talk about um, what it means to be the Deputy Undersecretary for Research, Education, and Economics, and what your role is. I'd be delighted to. Um, so the Department of Agriculture, for those who are familiar, it, it, it's pretty huge. We have, you know, at our at our peak, about 100,000 employees. And so USDA is divided into what are called mission areas. And so I have the honor of being the, the deputy undersecretary or, you know, essentially the number two of our scientific enterprise, also known as the Research, Education and Economics Mission Area. So that includes four um, science and research agencies. Um, including the Agricultural Research Service, the Economic Research Service, the National Agricultural Statistics Service, and the National Institute of Food and Agriculture. And then wrapping all of that in a bow is the Office of the Chief Scientist, which really coordinates research um, and, and policy and data, not just for our REE missionary, not just for USDA, but really for the entire federal government and serves a really key coordinating role. Um, so I have, again, the, the privilege and the honor of supporting about at our peak 10,000 scientists uh, statisticians, grant makers, everybody in between that is really uh, leveraging science, research, and partnerships to drive agriculture forward. It's a huge mission area. I mean, that, that's a <laughs> lot of people. Um, and as you said, a lot of great work being done. Um, how did you 
just to take a little step back before we sort of dig into um, your missionary specifically, how did you get to where you are? Um, luck and preparation. <laughs> but, but more than anything, you know, I can't tell my story without telling the story of my father, who, you know, some folks joke that they're a military brat. I would say I'm a bureaucratic brat in a way because my dad um, worked for the federal government and state gov government for nearly 50 years, um, the majority of that time at the Environmental Protection Agency. Um, so very much um had the opportunity to understand the power of public service and it's it runs in my blood on both sides of my family and so you know my my philosophy has always been you know taking on whatever opportunity would allow me to do the most good um i really believe in in the, the tenets of effective altruism and i also you know having grown up in the dc area know that the power of, of working within the system to create change um recognizing in particular that we have a lot of challenges ahead of us so I got really lucky, actually, Michael, that um, when I was in college, I had an internship. I got awesome. lucky to get an internship with the Agricultural Research Service. Okay. Um, and, and more than 15 years later now, I happen to be the deputy undersecretary uh, over ARS and the entire scientific enterprise. So, um, you know, it really is, is remarkable. I pinch myself every day that I have, have had a chance to get this opportunity. But but really, it's because I believe I believe in democracy. I believe in the power of public service. Um, I, I don't take it, it, you know, it lightly that every, um, you know, every project that we fund, every partnership that we build has significant impact on millions and millions of lives, not just in America, but really all over the world. And so that little internship at ARS, that summer internship all those years ago, really changed the trajectory of my career, because I thought I would go into foreign service, I thought I might be a diplomat one day, I thought I might, you know, you know, um, practice economic development in the in the global south and developing world. And then I recognized, actually, we have a lot of challenges here at home. And, and not only that, we have a lot of opportunity through science and innovation to continue to, uh, you know, ensure that we have nourishing food readily available, accessible, affordable for families, and we can do it in a climate smart way. Um, so that has driven me to where I am. And, you know, it's a much longer story, kind of what I've been able to do since that internship at ARS, but that was really foundational. And the beautiful thing about working at USD is that you actually hear a lot of those stories like, mm. oh, you know, I had a postdoc opportunity. I, I was an 1890 scholar, you know, 1994 tribal scholar. And that, you know, changed my life. And, and that's something that we're investing heavily in right now to do to do just that train 20,000 next gen students um, to reflect the diversity of the communities that we serve. So excited to share more about that, too. Absolutely. Um, and that's really important. Um, and and I definitely do want to dig into that. Um, You've spent most of your career, as you've said, in the agricultural space at, at USDA. Um, okay. What drives your interest and in your work in that area? I mean, you touched on it a little bit in terms of it's an exciting time, right, to be in agriculture because you've got the, you know, we need to feed the people. We need to do it in a climate friendly way. Um, plus, it's an economic driver. So there are a lot of a lot of pieces at play. What can, what keeps you? Um, driven to focus on agriculture? There are a, a ton of different things, I think, that that continue to grow my interest. I mean, you know, in the beginning, it was there were uh, food safety challenges. I remember back in the early 2000s, and I recognized that, you know, really is the role of USD science our researchers that are working together to eliminate pests and diseases and to make sure we're always one step ahead of, of the next outbreak or whatever challenge or shock that might hit our agricultural system. But, you know, truly, it's the people. 
Um, I had a chance to meet all types of farmers, you know, across every type of commodity, local, regional, organic. And it is the passion and the dedication of people that grow and produce and sell and distribute our food that keeps me going because they are incredibly creative. They're incredibly dedicated. And I think they're really our unsung heroes. And so recognizing that I'm a problem solver at heart, and we have, a, unfortunately, a lot of challenges, intersecting, mm. intersecting challenges in agriculture. Um, I know that I will always have a job and a career because, unfortunately, there will always be a new, a new challenge to tackle. Um, but really what gives me hope is the fact that they're really brilliant minds that are, you know, not just doing what 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 is possible to keep our food system safe, affordable, accessible, nutritious today, but really, again, thinking about 50 years down the, the line when we have, you know, about, well, not even 50, 50, 100, you name it. But when we look at 2050, we have about 2 billion more mouths to feed. Mm -hmm. And we know that we just can't do it with the status quo um, systems that we have in place today. So USDA and our partnerships, especially with land grant and public universities, has always been key to driving innovation, right? For more than 150 years, USDA was actually created at the same time that we created our land grant university system in this country, recognizing that we needed, you know, um, dedicated support through, through laboratories and research and extension to provide those solutions directly uh, into the hands of farmers. And we're continuing to invest in that. We're being a lot more creative about about building in equity um, into the way that we're, we're you know, uh, releasing our solutions and solving these challenges. Um, so it is an exciting time to be at the USDA. And as you mentioned, you were, um, you were a keynote speaker at ORU's annual meeting last March. Um, and our annual meeting for folks who may not be familiar with it is a gathering of representatives from the 150 plus agents, um, research universities that are part of our consortium, and then representatives from federal agencies like USDA and others. Um, and you, you basically had an opportunity to present USDA's vision to the counselors from the universities who were there. Um, talk about the importance of I guess the role of academia, you mentioned, you know, there's this need for 20,000 scientists and, you know, more, basically more research to be done. I assume that's a huge part of a role that America's academic institutions can play in helping fill those gaps, keep things moving from an innovation perspective and an equity perspective mm -hmm. in the agricultural space. I mean, I think our, our relationships with the academic sector are among our most important at the Department of Agriculture. Um, and it was a real treat to actually get to participate in your annual meeting. I understand I might be the first USDA official that has presented during that meeting, which, you know, we hope to change that moving mm -hmm. forward because there's such, to your point, a, a critical opportunity to bring in more university, uh, community college, trade school partners as well to realize our, our vision. Um, but you know, again, we can't solve problems unless we deeply understand the problems that we're trying to solve. And so we're lucky to have data from the Economic Research Service that kind of helps us paint a picture of, of where we are today, right? And where do we need to go? And so when um, I hear Secretary Vilsack talk about the system that has really been created over, you know, about the past 60 or so years, really, really intentionally in the 70s, a change 
um, uh, from kind of our, our New Deal systems of agriculture production to one that was more, more market oriented. Uh, we really prioritized hyper growth and, and productivity in agriculture. And we've been uh, over the past many decades, incredibly successful at, at, at producing an, a lot of food, mm. feed, and fuel to feed the world. Um, and we recognize too that uh, in 2022, we had record farm income in the United States, which is a pretty huge deal and a very, a very clear reflection of the policies that we've undertaken over this administration. And now typically, uh, a regular agriculture secretary would 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 see that say that and and be able to you know kind of wipe his hands and walk and walk away and say things are going great. Um, but Secretary Vilsack has been here before, mm. and he he was he was called uh, to come and serve during a time of an incredible challenge in this country, right? Not just uh, what what happened with the elections January six, but but really looking at COVID and the vulnerabilities that exposed in our food system. And he recognized that we have a lot of people doing well, but we have a lot more people that are not doing well in agriculture. Um, so it, when, when we think, and he's a, he's a historian really at heart too. So he always reminds us to kind of look to the past to see where we need to go. So he talks about these statistics that in 1935, we peaked, the United States peaked in, in terms of our number of farms in this country, we had about 7 million. In 2022, there were just 2 million farms in America. Um, and, and and unfortunately, since about 1980, we have lost more than 440,000 farms um, and more than 141 million acres of farmland. That is a rapid change. And we really need to understand the, the underpinnings of what happened in order to figure out where we can go from here. Um, I mentioned record farm income in 2022 um, and, and still really, really high income in, in 2023. But when we look at the numbers, Michael, it's a really worrying story. Actually, 50% uh, of uh, producers in that time did not make money from agriculture. And an additional 40% on top of that had to take off farm income to feed their families. So you're looking at 10%, actually fewer than that, about 7.5% of of uh, farmers and operations in this country that are doing incredibly well, uh, you know, they're capturing the the vast majority of that farm income. And we need, we, you know, we have a reckoning right now. We need to ask ourselves, are we okay with that? Mm -hmm. And when, you know, when the former secretary of, of agriculture under Sec secretary Purdue during the Trump administration was asked about this, he was very candid. And he said, you know, we've actually created a system in this country where essentially you either go big or you go home. Uh, and to be honest, we're we don't accept that. And so our focus over the past couple of years has been how do we create new new sources of income to support producers, right? So not just kind of selling one commodity and trying to compete in those markets. We're embracing a more circular economy, a bioeconomy, you know, where we've launched a, a historic climate smart agriculture program. So you can get new value our producers and everyone across the supply chain can get can get generate additional income um, from these new opportunities and the role that universities play in that is, as i mentioned um we we partner together we partner together for coming up uh in a couple of decades for 200 years and so my mission area actually provides uh two billion dollars every year in grant funding to our land grant universities, to our public universities, to community-based organizations and everybody in between to ensure that the solutions that we're generating are regional, they're, they're local, they're tailored to the needs of the communities that we're trying to serve. And most importantly, as I mentioned as well, 
that they can get into the hands of the producers that really, really need it, especially our small and mid-sized producers that we know have been struggling with greater consolidation across the industry, uh, with rise of, of uh, inputs, um, and with a, a greater globalized market, right? And so that really is is the key. And, and the Climate Smart Commodities Program I mentioned has, uh, I think, more than 100 universities involved across wow. the country. So they have been a key partner working with, with some of the biggest food companies, working directly with farmer, farmer and, and farm-facing organizations. But again, academia is critical to that because a, a lot of the, like, the best cutting-edge research we know is happening um, you know, in, in these institutions, in academia, and we have a real, real, real urgency to be able to train translate those solutions that, that, you know, uh, how do we turn agricultural waste into bioproducts and replace plastic? How do we do that and build that into the supply chain in a real way? So that's kind of one example of how I see uh, academia fitting in. But there are hundreds, there are thousands. If you look at our tech uh, transfer report, if you follow USDA Science on X, and we all are always talking about the role of academia. So clearly it's it's something I'm very excited about. And and something that uh, the Secretary of Agriculture himself talks about a lot is the role of our of our universities and our institutions. That's great. And um a lot of students, a lot of um, you know, undergrads, grads, postdocs, you know, hear the podcast because we talk about these kind of research opportunities all the time. If you were to make a pitch to students to get involved in agriculture, what what do you say to them? I would say that anything you're passionate about, any any skill set you might have, you'll have a home in agriculture. You can find a place for it, and we need you. Uh, where we have more than 100 research projects through our ARS, through our Agricultural Research Service right now, uh, empowering AI. We're using machine learning, um, you know, robotics, drones, controlled environmental agriculture, alternative proteins, bioplastic, the bioeconomy. Um, You know, this is the place where if you're values driven, if you're mission driven, if you believe that we can create a more sustainable, a more equitable, a more nutritious uh, food future for for everyone, you know, we need you and you have a place here to not just conduct your research, but if you care about um, you know, if, if you're more on the finance side, we have tons of opportunities, right? Finance, HR, the backbone. Um, we need science communicators. We need folks that deeply understand science, but then can can kind of uh, simplify a message and deliver it at kind of an eighth grade level, right? right? So folks can really understand the power of science to undergird policy. If you don't really want to be on the political face inside of things and, you know, be, be uh, you know, somebody that interfaces with Congress, which by the way, we have those jobs too, you can be somebody that can work on our communications team or messaging team to really be, again, at that intersection of where um, science meets uh, communication to, under- to help farmers and producers understand how they can leverage this this new information, these new tools uh, to to be more profitable and to be more sustainable at the same time. Um, We have a ton of internship opportunities. We have paid opportunities, we have scholarships, fellowships, and then we have the next gen program. So if you are a student um, right now, uh, you might be at an eligible institution. We have more than 60 organizations, more than 60 academic institutions 
through USDA's NextGen program that are funding uh, exactly what I've been talking about, paid fellowship research uh, experiential learning opportunities to dive deeply into plant science, right? Or to become uh, a, a beekeeper or to, you know, understand how to leverage uh, economic models to support climate mitigation efforts. There's so much opportunity right now. And it has actually been really rewarding to be part of a team that recognizes that our, you know, our, our, the most important work that we'll do is to build the next generation because they're mm. the ones that are unfortunately going to inherit a lot of these problems. And more than anything, they're more creative, right? They don't see right. issues one way. They see the overlapping, the intersections and angles. And I think a lot of folks, um, maybe more senior in their in their career, don't, don't think about problems in that way. And I remember when you shared um, about the next gen program at the annual meeting, there's a huge focus too on, on equity, right? And making sure that everybody has a seat at the table, um, regardless, I guess, of, of what side, you know, whether you're on the farming side or the finance side or the, the um, you know, clean, clean energy, clean farming side, like you need everybody. <laughs> we, we do. Right. And, and equity is actually woven into everything that we're doing. And I'm so glad that you brought up that point. So the next gen program um, really specifically is is meant to support minority serving institution students who, you know, quite frankly, don't have the opportunities I think that other students have. They can't afford to take an unpaid internship to come to Washington, D.C. I can barely afford to live in Washington, D.C., right? Like we, we recognize these challenges. We knew we had to create more nimble, flexible and responsive um, scholarship and internship opportunities for students thinking about things like childcare and, you know, how do we, how do we create a more inclusive, um, agricultural system for all? Well, it starts by investing in, in young people. And so we've been tremendously, um, excited to get our 1890s land grant institutions or 1994 institutions, our Hispanic serving institutions or community colleges, insular areas really enabling folks that haven't had a chance before that the chance uh, to, to grow their careers in agriculture. And we're going to be able to, we're going to be launching um, this year as well, a, a, a kind of a campaign, a, a next gen campaign to not just uh, talk about the 20,000 that we, that we anticipate will be trained through the next gen program, but really use it as an opportunity to draw in additional students who might say, you know what, I'm a tissue engineer. And I want to go work, work on cancer research. Well, actually, you can apply that same um, understanding to cellular agriculture, right, or the development of proteins, which we know we're going to need a lot more to meet demand uh, in the future. And so I just um, we're really, really embedded. We're really in, in, invested in making sure that we can tell that story of agriculture a little bit more sharply that right, that we can help um, young people understand that it's not you know, maybe the kind of traditional image of agriculture that you see uh, is the dominant narrative, but actually super cutting edge, right? Super high tech um, requires a lot of innovation, a lot of science. And we think that that will bring in a new generation of folks that quite frankly, we need, we need to fuel the future. Awesome. Awesome. Um, let's see. Um, oh, We've talked about this a little bit, but how is how is the USDA working to transform the food and ag system to tackle some of the world's greatest challenges? I mean, there there are a lot of challenges. I um, mean, you've, you've touched on some of that, but talk a little bit more about what is happening. Right. I mean, so I, I mentioned the um, the issue that we have with a lot of producers not being able to right now uh, profit 
um, that, you know, after all farms are businesses or operations, we need to make sure that they can thrive well into the future. And so we, at a baseline, we know we have the, we have the stats around the declining, declining number of farms, farmland, you can't sequester uh, carbon in a parking lot, as the secretary says, with that 141 million acres of farmland lost off into real estate and development, right? So what do we do? And then we look at the future and what's ahead. We recognize our, our, you know, our planet is warming. We're in a climate crisis. We know what that means is that it's going to be harder to grow things in the same ways in the same areas that we have. We know we're going to have a lot more emerging pests and diseases as our climate continues to shift and change in the way that it does. We know that uh, inputs and uh, our our natural resources are dwindling. Right when we look at all of the um, the news about our aquifers and and water, right, especially in the West, and then we add fire, fi- you know, f- fires on top, wildland mm-hmm. fires on top of that. Um, we think about the both the the nutrition problem in the United States, where we have. Um, the, the highest number of chronic related uh, di- diet related chronic diseases ever. But that, then at the same time, we have, you know, I- increasing rates of, of hunger and malnutrition in the developing world, especially again, when we look at the, the aftermath of, of COVID. And so these, this is a lot to take on. Yes. It really is a lot to take on, right? And so again, luckily, um, we have had this uh, missionary, the scientific enterprise, um, for for many generations now, recognizing that we always need to be one, two, now ten steps ahead of whatever problem is is going to come our way. And so, Secretary Vilsack, um, really under the the leadership of President Biden, has been super clear. Right, we need to focus on building a more climate smart agricultural system, recognizing both the contributions of of agriculture uh, to to climate change as well as the impact of climate change on agriculture. Right, and so agriculture really is a solution in many many ways to the act to the the climate crisis. We saw that on display at COP uh, this past uh, fall, where they had an entire day dedicated to, to food and agriculture for the first time, which is wonderful. Um, our Aim for Climate initiative is uh, ag- the Agriculture Innovation Mission for Climate. We call it Aim for, Aim for Climate is really our global effort um, with, I think, more than 15 billion, it might be something closer to $17 billion invested by uh, more than 500 partners that are saying, hey, we care about fighting the climate crisis and we know we can't do it without investments in agricultural innovation. So we've been able to create this effort, co-create it with the Department of State and bring on um, dozens of government governments um, as part of this fight. In addition to that, I was talking about the productivity um, focus that we've had on in U.S. agriculture over the past many, many decades, again, really in earnest starting in, in the 70s. Um, we know that we need to do, we need to leverage science and breeding to not just factor for increased yields, right? We, we do need to, of course, support production agriculture, and we need to be a little bit more thoughtful about how we're, uh, we're building in traits around nutrition, right? How are we making sure that those nutrition elements are there and we're not just hyper-focused on how much we grow, but really the quality of what we're growing as well? Um, we need a lot more science and partnerships on soil health, right, which has become a huge, huge issue um, in, the, in the food and ag space. Thankfully, so we recognize without soil, we have nothing. And so it's been really heartening to see academia step up in a lot of ways, right, with innovative soil health management practices to work with a private sector to help uh, deploy and test some of those practices. And now we have um, a a whole effort through the Department of Agriculture, $300 million invested in the measurement, monitoring, verification of those practices as well, embedded within our Climate Smart uh, Commodities Program. So we 
we're actually trying to test and make sure that they, that the practices that we are recommending, you know, have a climate benefit, have a sequestration benefit as well. Um, and then when we look at the people, uh, we look at the people within agriculture and the communities that have been impacted by uh, all of the, the changes that I've mentioned in the la landscape, we know we, that we need to do a better job. Um, you know, quite frankly, USD has been called the last plantation. Mm. Um, it has a, a it doesn't have the best reputation uh, historically for how we have treated uh, communities of, of color in particular, how we have treated black farmers, how we have you know treated tribal farmers. And so um, again, that has been probably the most heartening thing i've I've gotten to work on is really supporting a historic equity commission, which Congress um, directed to take a look, you know, from top to bottom at, at our programs and where is inequity discrimination baked in, not just to, um, our farm loans, but really across the board, even looking at research. And so we've taken a, a huge, huge step forward in being intentional about building those those partnerships with minority serving institutions. Again, thinking about our historically black land grant universities and, and how um, we could do more to support capacity building efforts. So ARS and NIFA, two of our agencies have actually said, hey, we're going to provide workshops and trainings to um, researchers, to faculty, faculty members, so they can be more competitive um, through, you know, and getting uh, agricultural and NSF and NIH, for that matter, research dollars, and not just being able to get that money, but then to manage really quite large federal grants, which are, you know, it's an art and science in and of itself. So we have been, uh, we've been really trying to be creative uh, on that front. And the other thing I'll mention quickly too, is the partnership um, around nutrition security and nutrition research, and really recognizing, I mentioned the rising rates of diet-related chronic disease, President Biden launched, uh, relaunched, reignited the cancer moonshot. Mm -hmm. um, when when he came back in, he launched it when he was VP, and and really it, it's back. And the role of the United States Department of Agriculture is to help prevent cancers. We know that other agencies are importantly, you know, working on the cure and and helping to make sure that patients have a good experience and they can get the care that we need. But we recognize that hey, we can actually prevent people from having to go through um, such a painful and, and devastating experience at all recognizing that potentially 30 to 50% of cancers can be avoided through better diet and lifestyle. And so one of the things that we've been able to do is launch our Ascend initiative, which is the, it stands, it, uh, you won't be shocked, but it, it's a very long <laughs> for the Agricultural Science Center of Excellence for Nutrition and Diet for Better Health, or Ascend for Better Health, which is a virtual science center of excellence to really bring all of our research together. We have six human nutrition research centers in this country. We have a ton of, of funding and partnerships, as I mentioned, that we work with academia and practitioners. We have the GUSNIP program, which uh, enables um, income eligible participants to get better access to, to fresh food and frozen foods and vegetables. Um, we have all of that, but yet we know that these these rates of cancer and diet related diseases are are on the are on the incline, unfortunately. And so we launched a pilot nutrition hub in partnership with Southern University um, in Louisiana, and saying, "Hey, all of this research is important, but we can't let it sit on the shelf. We need to engage in community. We need to meet people where they are, and we need to be." as thoughtful um, and respectful as we can be about the fact that people have very busy lives and very a very di different levels of understanding of what is right for them and their families. And so 
that Pilot Nutrition Hub at Southern University is the focus is really to be in community engaging um, with with uh, with folks in that community, primarily African American, very heavily skewed towards seniors, right? And we want to make sure that they understand the the true connection between nutrition, diet, lifestyle, and health. And there's a great, a huge amount of um, need and desire to do more of that. So we're, we're grateful to have that opportunity and, and hoping to partner with more universities um, and, and academic institutions well in the, into the future to be uh, to drive this initiative forward. Again, that community engagement piece is so critical. I, I love that you talked about the nutrition and relaunching the, the cancer moonshot. Um, cancer is a, a very personal issue to me. I'm a, I'm a 12-year colorectal cancer survivor. And mm-hmm. so we talk about We've talked about cancer a lot in the last um, six months on the podcast with different agencies and, and different groups. But one of the one of the things that's alarming for me, and so I'm, I'm heartened to hear about the world of nutrition and, and physical activity, is that cancers that have historically been considered, you know, old people cancer, like colon cancer and mm-hmm. and others are being diagnosed at younger and younger ages. And so something is wrong, right? Something somewhere. Um, And, you know, not that I'm asking you to be a doctor, but, you know, I mean, it, it seems like it's nutrition and physical activity and lifestyle. And, you know, all of that plays a huge role, which, which you all are, are working on um, and helping people understand the, the important role of nutrition in staying healthy. Well, thank you for for sharing that, and um, well, just congratulations on on your own journey. And again, that that link between diet and nutrition lifestyle is understood, unfortunately, by by many who might have gone through a similar experience. But um, maybe until you get that diagnosis or are affected by it in your family, you don't maybe make that connection um, as as clearly. The other thing that we recognize too, and and you know, folks can go to um, and, and look at USDA's dietary guidelines. Right. We, we have we have advice. We have, you know, all of these recommendations for Americans and and we recognize that we cannot continue to have a one size fits all approach mm-hmm. for everybody. So a key part of, of our work through through Ascend and through USDA ARS, um, our, our intramural research agency um, is to drive precision nutrition and really look at subpopulations, right? And really figure out, okay, if if you're an elderly American from a certain background, like what are your nutritional diet needs? I know that's different from a, you know, a preteen who is active in sports every day, right? And it, it you know, it, it different, it's different from a, a mother with young children. And so we recognize we need to do better and draw and, and be more precise with our with our nutrition advice and so we're investing a lot more and you know again working in partnership with with agencies like nih to drive forward that that precision nutrition research which is um critically critically important because we know our, currently our, our dietary guidelines are um you know kind of broad in the average and we we have the power we have the information and the science <laughs> right. to be able to go a bit deeper and then it's being able to communicate that right as you said earlier you need you need people who can communicate the science to the rest of the world. So again, you know, another opportunity. If you're listening, <laughs> if you're listening and you're into science and, and communication. Um, but I love the notion of, pre, you know, we have precision medicine. Of course, we should have precision nutrition because it, it makes a difference. Um, we have talked about a lot <laughs> in the time. Um, is there anything we haven't talked about that I haven't asked you that you want to make sure that we cover? 
Oh my gosh. Well, you know, for, for folks that might be trying to figure out all of the opportunities to plug into USDA, one thing that I would say is that we've tried a tried really hard and continue to try to make um, our our information, our science, our grant opportunities, our new programs as accessible as possible. Um, so I hope that you'll you'll check out the USDA website if you're interested in food systems transformation. All of the investments we've made there, more than four billion dollars. We have a we have a web page for that. You can go in and look at all the agricultural marketing service is doing. You can look at how the rural development mission area is supporting uh, opportunities like the reconnect program to actually you know m- ensure that we have um, internet um, in in uh, not just rural communities but agricultural communities, which I mentioned are uh, more and more high tech. They're they're mm. higher tech than ever, and of course they need Wi Fi. They need internet to be able to to continue to to. Um, be profitable in their in their operations. We have uh, we have our food and nutrition consumer services. We have F- FNS, um, which uh, supports a, more than a dozen different nutrition and feeding programs. Really, our our, our most critical um, social safety net. And we just launched this summer EBT program. I think one of the first new permanent feeding programs um, in in, a, in more than a generation. So. We have a tremendous amount of work going on really across the department. And I would say, Michael, honestly, if you can't keep up, I can barely keep up because our our, our team has been super busy, not just with the Climate Smart Commodities, the $3 billion program that I mentioned, not just even thinking about the Forest Service where the president himself has called attention to the issue of making sure that we're doing right by our firefighters and paying them what they need to be paid. Um, that we're they're doing everything we can on the natural resource management side of things, that we're supporting tribal communities and really having nation to nation conversations, right? And really coming to the table in a much more respectful way, a much more collaborative way, right? So you can take a look at our equity action plan page and see all of the commitments that we have across every missionary, every agency, the department to drive forward equity, not just again in our science and research, but in our programs as well. Um I'm just really excited about the future. I'm so excited about the future because when I go out and people ask me, what's the best part part of your job? And it it can be hard to, it can be hard to pick, Um, but really it's engaging with young people. Um, I I was at the University of California, Santa Cruz a couple of, a couple of months ago. They're one of our next gen grantees. Um, and they they primarily have you know a lot of students of color, many that come from farm worker backgrounds, um, many who came from from backgrounds where their family said, "We want a better life for you. We don't want you to go into agriculture necessarily, at least not in the fields." I met a, a, a student who um, had a penchant for robotics and building and an engineer mind, and his mom and his his family members worked. Uh, uh, they were they were picking strawberries and berries in organic fields in, in California. And he created a little a, a, a kind of autonomous robot vehicle that could weed organic berry farms. And so he might not be in agriculture in the traditional way that his family has been in the way that they might want for him. But the 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 experience that he had led him to create such an such an incredibly valuable tool uh, for community members like his that they can actually afford, right? It was actually a, an affordable tool that he created leveraging science and engineering that can help a very, very um, sometimes overlooked or, or you know, under-supported industry. And I was actually standing with a gentleman named Mark Lipson, who is a longtime organic farmer, kind of a godfather of organic agriculture in this country. And he had a tear in his eye because he had a farm and he recognized that how incredible and game-changing um, 
this kind of simple machine was that right. this student created. And so that type of thing, those stories give me an incredible amount of hope. I was at Tufts University last week meeting with with uh, with some of the brightest uh, scientists in the cellular agriculture space. And the work that they're doing just gives me um, so, much, so much confidence that we are going to be able to overcome these challenges. But we need a lot more young people, a lot more bright minds dedicated to, to this issue. I think it's the biggest issue of our time is how are we going to sustainably feed and nourish uh, the growing world, um, given the intersecting challenges that we have. But again, I believe we can do it. Awesome. 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 Last question. Um, Son of Egg, what brings you joy? Well, I just talked a lot about. Uh, yeah, you did a lot. A lot of joy <laughs> was definitely in that in that answer. Uh, the, the students and, and the and the next generation, but I would I would say as well, um, really the fact that the academic system is excited and poised to help us create and realize this vision of, of agriculture that that I laid out, one where small and mid-sized producers actually are profitable, where they're, where they're able to generate value and benefit from employing climate smart practices, where they're nourishing their communities, they're building a more circular agriculture economy and moving away from the extraction-based economies that have been embedded within our systems. Um, one that is a, a an agricultural system that is more diverse and equitable, right? That actually supports communities that have historically had that, had that critical connection to the land. Um, we just couldn't do this work without, without our academic partners, without um, all of the, not just the researchers, but the, the teachers that are themselves inspiring the, that next generation, providing those mentorship opportunities. I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful that we have a chance to support them through USDA research uh, uh, and grant dollars, capacity dollars, but also that we are taking a different approach and, and really welcoming anybody that wants to partner with us, anybody that sees themselves as part of the solution, we just launched a new science and research strategy for the Department of Agriculture, the first one that ever uh, in our history looked at across the entire department and really developed our, our goals uh, over the next couple of years. If you if you have a solution, if you're working on a strategy outline in that plan, reach out to us. We want to make sure we're capturing that. We want to make sure you're getting credit. And we want to make sure that all of the work that you're doing is as um understood as possible. So mm -hmm. we're we're continuing to work on the white spaces and not duplicating efforts. And so I'm just excited that we have a clear vision. We have the right partners. We've had historic funding opportunities through Congress. And then we have young people that understand that they no matter what they care about, they have a they have a home in agriculture. Awesome. Son of Egg, thank you so much for spending this time with me. I really, really appreciate it. Um, it's been great getting to know you and getting to know more about um, what the USDA is doing really to change the world and to feed the world. Um, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate the spotlight on USDA and, and USDA science. And uh, we are always hiring. So if anybody's interested in job, <laughs> <laughs> opportunities abound abound well thank you again michael i really enjoyed the chance to chat with you absolutely thank you have a great day okay, you too take care thank you for listening to further together the orau podcast to learn more about any of the topics discussed by our experts visit www.orau.org you can also find us on facebook twitter and linkedin at orau 
and on Instagram at O-R-A-U Together. If you like Further Together, the O-R-A-U podcast, we would appreciate you giving us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Your reviews will help more people find the podcast.